You know, as I said also last Sunday, it is just so good to be in this place and worshiping uh, with you all. You, some of you know I was gone for a couple of weeks, um, just uh, being overseas, uh, speaking to uh, Baptists globally and uh, a big meeting they had there, and then uh, also having the joy of speaking to a former church we used to pastor in, uh, in Denmark. So that was a special time. But all the time I'm thinking, how good it will be to stand here among you all at First Baptist Church of Louisville, yes? yes? I want you all to feel that with your heart. You know, to be gone is, is just to be longing, right? And then those of you who are sitting at home wondering, I wonder how it would be to actually be in the building. Come on, and we will let you know. This is a great, great fellowship. And I don't know if you noticed also, but Hudson uh, has asked, you know, God has put on his heart to uh, do uh, translation, if you will, uh, for, for the deaf, right? And, and we are so grateful that he's going to begin that ministry. Thank you, uh, Hudson, for doing that. Um, God is calling out uh, people from, from all age groups to uh, serve him in every way, and he puts it on their heart. As you know, uh, we are... We are um, in uh, in this uh, greater theme we call life together, you can see that on the on the front of the church uh, worship guide. You can also see that on signs around, and you'll see also new signs are coming up. We are also putting up tables around for people to gather when you leave here. Uh, you, there will be coffee tables, and you can kind of grab a cup, find someone to talk to. We want to encourage life together. And in that process from the pulpit here, uh, we are walking through uh, the Gospel of Luke and have looked at many, these many pages. And today, uh, we are hitting this very text that speaks so wonderful to the situation we have right now. And I'm going to uh, just, just do that briefly this morning, very straightforwardly, uh, and, and hopefully uh, plainly enough where we see exactly what's going on. I don't know if you're aware, but the most fascinating people ever are those who had their life changed. That's true, right? That's what, if you want to read a biography, what do you read about someone whose life has been changed and something has happened for the good in their lives? And the text today is exactly about that. It's chapter 5 in Luke's Gospel, chapter 5. If you can't quite find it, you know, find the beginning of the New Testament. You get Matthew, Mark, and then comes Luke, and it's chapter 5, and we'll read from verse 27. The text is on the screen also, and here's... What God's word says here, after this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, follow me. And so leaving everything behind, he got up and began to follow him. Then Levi hosted a grand banquet for him at his house, and now there was a large crowd of tax collectors and others who were guests with them. But the Pharisees and the scribes were complaining to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus replied to them, It is not those who are healthy who need a doctor, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. You know, I doubt it's 
necessary to say much about the situation of the tax collectors in ancient Israel under the uh, Roman uh, Empire. Uh, Most uh, here, I think, have had some kind of uh, lesson in Bible history where that was included. But for those of you who don't, let me just say just a couple of sentences on this, right? So, so, uh, these, these tax collectors, uh, tax collectors were generally speaking hated by people. They were hired by the, the occupiers of the country, so they were thought of as traitors. And then on top of that, they were wealthy when everybody else more or less were, were poor. At least many of them were, and they were considered wealthy because they had kind of, uh, no, skimmed off the top of the thing and charged more uh, taxes than was necessary and kept that to themselves. So that's a social situation I think most uh, of us know about, and, and that is the background uh, for this story, the things we may not hear if we don't know this. The important thing here, though, is to notice that uh, in this context, the highlight is how this tax collector, Levi, how his life was completely and utterly changed when he heard and accepted the call of Jesus. And I want us to hear this just as plainly and as bluntly as I can say it, right? Jesus' call, as we heard also as, uh, just a minute ago from the stage here, changes people's lives, in fact, he can change yours. I think many of us just sit around and we're thinking, yeah, I know that to be true theoretically, but in my life it's different. Not really. There is something going on here. And when you notice what happens here with Levi, and you see that not only did he get a brand new life, he got a new name even. And Luke is not mentioning that here, but we see that around, right? And so um, we see that every so often in Scripture. Of course, Jesus' own name was told that that's the name he was supposed to, to have. John the Baptist's parents also were told that you need to call this forerunner for Christ. You need to call him John, which means God is gracious or, you know, gracious God. Um, and then we see people like Peter, and when Jesus tells us that you are Simon, but you shall be Cephas or Peter, the rock upon which I will build my church. That testimony that came from his lips became the foundation uh, for the church. And here Levi uh, becomes Matthew, right, which means the gift of God. You think, why these names? Well, because it indicates and highlights in a biblical kind of way a new identity. Identity changes, friends, when you come to belong to Christ. Don't miss this. These are just simple things. I want to speak uh, to to this text here uh, under three kind of headings, and I'm just more or less just kind of walking through the text. It's straight out of the text, right? First, what happens uh, when sinful people follow Jesus' call, and then what happens when righteous people refuse Jesus' call, and then what happens when Jesus expresses the meaning and the purpose of his call. We'll just look through the text and we'll see just that. Levi's calling in many ways, stands as the prototype of modern 
people's call or conversion, if you will. It's just, it's how we live. It's who we are. Think about it for a moment, right? So, so, so here's, here's Levi. He was a dedicated, committed, hardworking, uh, person who kind of was running his own freelance uh, business, if you will, under the governmental kind of uh, structures uh, that were there. Uh, he was he was in the situation with everything that came with that. He was in the financial sector. We're told here in this text that he had his own office, that Jesus came by, and yet he was isolated. He was somewhat under constant social stress as if we don't know what that is these days yes are you hearing me right and so he had had some people that kind of looked up to him in in many ways because he was well-to-do and and they just kind of benefited from his from his uh, wealth and from his uh, fame and all that and then he was hated because he worked for for the oppressors and, and all these social pressures and then the family pressures for him giving his life to this imagine his kids they were all jews and other Jews would not be eating with them. They would not be in the, in the same house with them. They may have spoken to them on the street, but they were very kind of parameters. That's what the Pharisees uh, are referring to here. How come that Jesus is actually dining with them? So there are all these pressure. In fact, if I was just to say it briefly, he could have been any one of us in a modern, contemporary world. But what made Levi Matthew, if you will, was that he listened to Jesus's call. And I want you to notice kind of the totality with which he, you know, the completeness with which he accepts this call. Look back in the text and it says here, he left everything behind. Just like that. It's not that he just sold all things that he had, you know, a little, just right after that. In fact, it says that he gathered everybody in his house. Now we're going to get back to that. But it is so he was not trying to just pay off what he's done wrong, right? Then I got to rectify my life morally. That was not the point. He didn't give half of what he owned to the poor. He didn't kind of pay back everyone he's cheated. There's none of that. So what does it mean when it says he left everything? He got up from what he was doing and he was no longer going to be defined by who he had been through his work as a, as a tax collector. See if you can get this. How powerful and how strong that is. That's what it means when we say to reevaluate or revalue your life, right? We put value on other things. We reprioritize other things come first. From what used to be first, he left everything. Whatever the price may be, that's it. And I had to ask myself, would I be willing to do that? It's one thing to give a lot. And to hand out a lot, which is important. And I don't ever misunderstand what I'm saying to think that's not important. Certainly, God has given us this grace and this ability to, to kind of share with others. But what is going on here is that he left his prestige. 
He left that office that gave him this kind of recognition. He, he would have to change his surrounding and the people that he was friends with if he had many of those because you see those he invited to his house were other tax collectors. All of that for the sake of Jesus. And I think that is what is so tough, friends. That is what is so tough. And there's something that is important for us to learn from Levi about the totality and about the fullness of his surrender to Christ. Had a secure job. He was doing very well. There might have been people who didn't think too highly of him. But so what? But now, he followed Jesus. I couldn't help but to reflect a little bit. And some of you young people, and some of you mature people. You know, if you think about it just a little bit, the fishermen, they also says about them, they just got up and followed Jesus. But in the end, if they regretted, what could they could go back to their boat and fish some more? Matthew burned every bridge behind him to that old life that he used to have. There's no way back. Romans were not going to take him back. Jews were not suddenly going to begin to trust him. He's followed Jesus after all that kind of stuff. So where are we with this? Can we read a Bible text and act like it doesn't matter? Are we willing, even interested, in giving that kind of commitment to Christ? If you stay with that text, and I already referred to it on, on, on this banquet that he calls right after that, inviting all his friends to come meet Jesus. You know, John Wesley said that no one comes or goes to heaven alone. When someone is truly, and I'm quoting here, when someone is truly saved, they will try to get all your friends to come with you to heaven. And if you can't convince them, you'll find other friends you could talk to to bring them with you. That is exactly what happened here with Levi or Matthew, if you will. The first thing he did right after was to call his friends together. To have them participate. And they let them know about what he had experienced. He, he wanted to let them to know. There was no shyness. There was no timidity. There was no hesitation. There was no reticence. Just a newborn excitement. That created a banquet. That, a banquet for the very purpose. Of introducing other people to Jesus. I can't help, friends, to, to think about this if we take that into a modern situation. Who do you need to invite to your home? We got beautiful homes, don't we? I mean, gorgeous homes. Many of them enough to have many people at the same time. And we're there alone. Who are you supposed to invite to introduce them to Jesus? Or how long has it been since you, since you made a banquet, a really nice, let's get friends together to talk about Jesus. 
round the table, just to coming together. You know, the opposite of what Matthew did is, is, uh, is spoken to in Isaiah 38. Um, I preached on that a little while back uh, on other things here. 38 and 39, King Hezekiah um, got sick and was, was, you know, mortally ill. And he prayed to God, cried out to the prophet, and, and God spoke to the prophet, and he said, you have 15 more years. God has given you 15 more years. And so a, a whole convoy is coming from other kingdoms to come and visit him in his house. And as they leave, the prophet comes back and says, what did they see in your house? And you kind of anticipate this, saying, well, I introduced him to, to, to Yahweh, to God. I, I let him know about the pray, place of my prayer. I let him know about how he had given me 15 more years. It says nothing of that. They saw my stuff. They saw my fields. They saw my gold. They saw my weaponry. They saw the pictures on the wall. And you're going, what? Matthew stands as a contrast to that. And then see the depths that follows even after that. This tax collector that was despised by so many suddenly saw how his whole life changed. And his impact was brand new. Now, before, what he could do was to throw a banquet and he could give people some food for their stomach and a great experience maybe for the moment. Now, beyond that, he could give people food for their soul and he could give them experiences that lasted for all eternity. Are you hearing this? From just being able to deal with the mundane, now he was able to deal with the eternal. And more than that, that man who used to just write up and do records for how many money or how much these people either owed or had paid or whatever, now he gets to be the one who writes the gospel. We call the gospel of Matthew, which is the opening gospel of the New Testament. And millions upon millions upon millions of people throughout the globe and throughout the centuries have come to know Christ. For this man who said, I'm getting up, I'm leaving this office, and I'm doing what Jesus is telling me to do. So, if you wonder about his name, let me just say that. You wonder about his name. He used to be Levi. Levi was the tribe of ancient Israel that was the priests. They were the interpreters of the law, so to speak. And then he became Matthew, the gift of God. And if you look at the Gospels and you study any of them, even in the slightest, you will know that no other Gospel like Matthew is interpreting the Old Testament in such a way that they through the promises of the Old Testament you get to see Christ. That's what Matthew does for us. The one who used to be kind of despised by the scribes and the law interpreters now. Now he becomes their Bible teacher. When sinful people accept the call of Christ. 
You see what happens when righteous people refuse the call of Jesus. The exact opposite happens. Luke describes it here as these, these Pharisees that are just upset that, that, uh, that Jesus and his disciples will participate in a banquet where sinners and tax collectors are in. See, what happened was that these Pharisees, they created what we call kind of the oral law. They took the Old Testament. They thought some of these passages are too difficult to, to understand. So they interpreted them, said, this is what they mean. And they, that, that's all collected in a book called the Mishnah. And, and then they said, well, some of that could even be too hard. So they, they sermonized even more and just put up more rules and more regulations. So not only do we have the oral tradition, the Mishnah, we had the interpretation of the oral tradition, which is called the Talmud. And so all of that now becomes rules, regulations. That's how you're supposed to do all things. And instead of listening to God's call, it became a matter of following the right ritual I hope you see that their religion has become external it had become a matter of form it was no longer a matter of listening to God in fact listening to God didn't give any meaning because they knew to serve him they had to go through these particular liturgies and rituals and you wonder What does that have to do with us? I think much in every way. It is so easy. It is so easy for us to do. We like the way we do it. We like the way we've always done it. We have a form too. We had a way of doing things. And this is who we are. And we like people to come and just enjoy things the way we do it. And because of that, sometimes it's hard For those who are not accustomed to that, those who are sinners and tax collectors, if you will, to find a home, it it can be quite difficult. If you remember that Jesus' conversation with the with the uh, the woman at the well in John four and six, and she suggests something about a specific way of worshiping, and Jesus says, "The Father is not looking." For where you worship, for how, even in that sense. But for those who worship in spirit and in truth. Are we getting this, friends? Maybe I can kind of work that a little bit. When we, as churches and as Christians, Become more interested in the way we do it than in seeing people come to Christ and seeing people find a living relationship with God. We look more like the Pharisees than we look like Matthew. I'm going to do a little twist, I think many of us, and it's something I thought about not too long ago. We all know, I think those of you at least who participate in Bible study who are not brand new Christian, you'll know Romans 8 says, you know, there's no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. And we understand that. What if you just look at it from a little different kind of side, through a different prism? You said, that is true. No one comes to Christ through condemnation. 
If someone comes in and feels condemned because they're not doing the right thing, dressing the right way, hearing the right thing, whatever, they're not going to find Christ, but they are finding Christ through love. We hear this, the Holy Spirit will do whatever he needs to be doing in people's lives. Our job is to love people into the kingdom, not condemn them, because in Christ there is no condemnation. Yes. I don't want you to mishear me. The Spirit will work this and can work this, but it is such a clean and clear kind of text when you look at this, right? What is most important, that people hear the call of Jesus or that they fit into who we are? I think that's the point that he's trying to make here. It's asking these people, are your love or is your love so great? that you're willing to do anything and all things to help them find Jesus as their Savior. You know, um, that last verse, and I'll be done. Jesus said to them, it's not those who are healthy who need a doctor. He's simply saying to these people who are objecting to him leading Levi to become Matthew, He's saying to me, you're like a bunch of doctors who just like to be the doctor for all the healthy people. And you walk around, your job is to walk around to make sure that they stay healthy. And if they're not, you kick them out. Because they're no longer healthy. That's what he's saying to them. If you read the text. And he says, I'm not come for that. I've come for those who recognize their need for me. And I'll be their doctor. And I'll bring them healing. That's just the opposite. He will show that love and bring them in from being sick to becoming healthy. Friends, I read this text, a few verses as they are, and snapped little kind of a glimpse of life together. God calls us to this. You know, there's there's a word for all of these things. That Jesus is telling here. And that is church. That's where that happens. Is it possible. To truly hear him when he says. I have come. To call sinners. Into the kingdom of God. Confirmation. And transformation. And repentance. The only thing, really, friends, that we have to do (laughs) is to do what that tax collector, Levi, did. Become the disciple called Matthew. And when Jesus says, follow me, just get up and follow. When that happens, healing will come. Not just to you but through you to others. Yes? Friends, I I don't know. You know, I've been in church since I've said that before, nine months before I was born, I guess, right? I've heard a lot of things like this. But it can't be just words we hear. It must be transformative in our lives. Think of this. Look around. God has called us. There's not just one Levi here. 
There are hundreds and hundreds of Levites here that can become Matthews, yes? Can we respond that way from the depths of our heart? Let's stand, friends. I truly want to invite you to take this message simple, straightforward as it is. There are some of the young people that may want to say, hey, I want to be that kind of disciple for the rest of my life. There may be some others that I need to rededicate my life. Young people, mature people, families, whatever. Just imagine if we, look around, friends, if we said that's going to be us, every last one of us. Father, would you pour out your spirit on each person, on each family, and each home. May it come to each or every office. May it be that we hear that call and we say, I'm going to follow. I'm ready to move from Levi to Matthew. For those who have done that and they know that, give them extra strength, Father, just to do what Matthew did. John Wesley said, call others in, share what they have received. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. We're going to sing a song and then we're going to have a, a word from uh, the pulpit committee uh, as they share also. Let's sing a song. But if you're here to respond to God, let's do it here. Grab someone by the hand afterwards if you don't want to come forward now.